From the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles, now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes! Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Steve Lorenz here with me. Check out all of our stories over at the MichiganInsider.com, Michigan.247sports.com. Obviously, this is generally a football podcast. We will dive into basketball and, and, and some of the other sports when it's, when it's um, important. But, but our focus in, in this podcast of the three Michigan Insider podcast branches is uh, we try to talk about the news, you know, what, what people are talking about, what the latest discussion points are in, in football. And there's a, there's really one main news item this week. And it, it I mean, it's related to Michigan because it's related to college football, but it's, it's really a national thing. It's, it's amazing. Looking back, I, I'm very curious to see what this, how this off season is viewed because for those that, have not missed it. This was the same off season that transfers, I guess, formally became immediately eligible. You could argue pretty much everyone was given immediate eligibility last year, but, but in terms of it being uh, kind of the transfer portal taking off as a genuine recruiting world, I think really started this summer, uh, the 12 team playoff is I mean we don't know exactly when it will be implemented but at the very least it's it's becoming coming to the forefront as a as a realistic uh scenario and then of course there's name image and likeness so in the back half of this episode we will talk a little bit about Michigan's team we've been kind of quietly previewing each position group or at least looking at where things stand at each position group in the offseason so we'll talk about the running backs and the offensive line uh, in the in the back half of this episode, but but for the front half, we're going to talk about name, image, likeness, NIL for short. Uh, for those, I I think most people know what it is, so maybe we don't need to um, explain it too. But the quick version is name, image, likeness is basically athletes being able to make money off of their brand and being who they are, being famous, and so it's not. NIL compensation does not come from schools. It does not come from the NCAA. It's merely allowing athletes to make their own money uh, without forfeiting their amateur status. So for the, the classic example was if, if um, you know, people buy a shirt with like Chase Winovich's face on it, you know, maybe he can, he can get in on that deal, but, but really what's, what's emerging is more the, the branding, the social media, the, um, you know, Instagram, TikTok, uh, and kind of the, the paid partnerships is what's, what's becoming a little bit more common. That's a little bit easier to monetize and it can be pretty lucrative. We'll talk about kind of what's, what that looks like for Michigan in a moment, but, but the genesis of this week's news is that it sounds like the NCAA after the Supreme court ruled uh, nine to nothing against the NCAA that it's time. It's time to allow you know athletes participating in college sports to make money off of their name and their branding and, and kind of their celebrity, so to speak. And so if an athlete has a, a million Instagram followers and people are banging at the door to drop, give them $10,000 to promote, I don't know, this, this t-shirt or this workout gear or, this protein bar, let them. All other college students are able to. All other, I mean, you know, no one's asking Steve and I, but we're able to. And so it's, it's, it's a little bit of an outdated view of amateurism. So we'll talk about a little bit less of the debate because I think it's pretty much a foregone conclusion. Instead, we're going to talk about what it means for Michigan. We'll start with the recruiting side of things. Uh, we'll, we'll also discuss you know, Michigan's efforts or what they can do to, to help prepare themselves for this or, or kind of hit the ground running with it. We'll also talk about if it impacts, uh, I guess, the, the student athlete experience as well, uh, among other topics. So, Steve, I want to start with the recruiting because I, I think that's, that's where people are looking to first is that these schools are all 
some have been preparing longer than others, but they're all kind of putting together their plans uh, to help athletes make the most of their name image likeness opportunity. That's, you know, helping them brand, helping them brand, I guess the right way or the most appealing way to uh, sponsors and partners. And, and obviously uh, schools themselves have different types of fan bases and, and, you know, Michigan has a very large fan base. It's, I would argue it's among the more passionate, maybe, um, you know, there's some debate to be had about <laughs> the sec schools and, and kind of how much they love football versus different fan bases around the country. But in your view, what does name image likeness, how does that impact Michigan's recruiting? And are you already starting to see some of the effects of this upcoming, let's, let's say the July one switch, the NCAA, I don't know if they're going to pull it off, but they're trying to put the rules in place, the legislation in place to allow allow this to happen starting, I mean, literally next week. Uh, what have you noticed on the recruiting trail so far? It's being asked about on the recruits end. That's one big thing. I mean, they're chomping at the, them and their families as they would and should are chomping at the bit, right, to, to kind of find out which programs are the most prepared, which programs have a plan in place, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that's really been the common theme. You know, you have Walter Nolan, five-star defensive tackle out of Tennessee, maybe one of Michigan, probably their top overall remaining target, uh, regardless of position. You have him posing in pictures at Michigan over the weekend with his Instagram handle in the background. Um, just subtle little things like that, you know, to kind of, for Michigan, I think the biggest thing, is you talk about the the what what's interesting for them is the size the sheer size of the alumni base and how spread across the country it is. You think of Chicago, L.A., New York. I know actually Chicago, New York, not really high school uh, football hotbeds, but they are big markets. Right. I mean, when you right. grow up. And by the way, shout out to our Chicago listeners. They're actually our number two city. Does not surprise me one bit. Yeah. Right. So there's that, you know, that's the, the one, the big, but the biggest thing we're just strictly recruiting wise, I've noticed is that it's, it's, it's really, it's become, you know, when we talk about, you know, is Michigan going to get this guy or this guy uh, when you're talking about the top, top recruits, the, the really big timers that they're recruiting, this is going to become as big a factor as like depth chart. Uh, proximity to home, you know, stuff like, like comfort, you know, academics, like this is going to be right up there and it may end up at once, once the ball really gets rolling, I mean, it really may end up being one of the two or three biggest factors in why a kid chooses one school over the other, which is why it's imperative for a school like Michigan who has the opportunity to, probably put a program in place that would be better than almost any program in the country, at least from a national reach standpoint uh, that they have to knock this out of the park because if they don't, they're going to get left behind because you can bet anything. The same schools they're recruiting against right now are going to, um, yeah. those upper echelon schools that already have a lot of things going in their favor on the recruiting trail will only have more when this takes place. You know, the difference is, like I say, you talk about how great, like Alabama, right? Alabama pretty much can recruit whoever they want, but they don't, even in a school like Alabama doesn't necessarily have the national reach, uh, into every corner of the country that a hugely, you know, like a school like Michigan with, with its alumni base has uh, as weird as that is to say, you know, it's a much more like, like you said, I think at the SEC, you go to the SEC for the most part, those are like pockets of like super, super rabid fan bases. 
yeah. uh, that don't have a lot of like a lot of those areas in the country don't have pro teams to root for, particularly in Alabama. Um, so there are some opportunities there for Michigan, I think, to exploit. It's just a matter of making sure they take full advantage of it. I mean, this is really kind of one of those big opportunities for them to at least start to even the level, even the playing field on the recruiting trail a little bit. Now I'm, I'm skeptical. It'll fully, even if say Michigan, let's just say theoretically Michigan was to put in an NIL pitch and package and, and plan that let's just say it was like the first or second best in the country based on what the plan is, how far it can reach, like what kind of opportunities it can provide. It would narrow that gap. But in my argument, and I've said this on the board, until the NCAA or whoever polices all the other stuff that currently goes on in the recruiting trail, it would only narrow it. I don't think it would maybe fully close the gap as far as recruiting goes. So that's kind of the other part of it. But for Michigan, this is kind of one of those like golden ticket type situations, I think, on the recruiting trail for them. Okay, that's that's interesting because I was I, I'm curious your thoughts, of course, because you you cover recruiting, you're a lot closer to it than I am. Cause I've always been a little skeptical that this is a game changer for Michigan. It's certainly an opportunity. I think you're absolutely right. I think, um, you know, Michigan has, I believe the third biggest fan base in the, in the country in terms of sheer numbers. And, and I think one thing we'll talk about, I'll talk about other sports in just a moment, but uh, Michigan has one of the more, committed fan bases in terms of multiple sports uh you know basketball hockey softball baseball um gymnastics you know i mean there there is a bit of a of a rally you know michigan fans really do look at like the next sport i think the football team having some struggles in the past 12 13 years hasn't hasn't hurt that but anyways i i think michigan has a really passionate fan base i think they have a huge fan base but where I'm always a little wary is I don't know if Michigan's fan base on the whole on, you know, compared to the other, let's say top 20 programs. So your Florida's, your Georgia's, your um, Texas A&M's, your Texas, you know, Oklahoma. I don't know if Michigan has the, the rabid fan base. I mean, the joke that, that you and I have said a couple of times is that there are some fan bases where uh, if, if, a fan could give a trade their pinky finger for a five-star quarterback. They would, and they wouldn't even think about it. If they could trade their car in and walk to work for a year in order to get, you know, a 330 pounder, five-star offensive tackle, they would. And, and I think there are Michigan fans who, who are that passionate, all that are that dedicated. I just don't know. I don't know if Michigan's fan base has quite as much of that, sector of fan base. And, and so what'll be interesting to me, because we don't know what the market's going to look like. We don't know if it'll be just branding or if there'll be car dealership commercials and, you know, all these, I, I it's hard to tell how heavily promoted everything will be um, or how it will be promoted. But that's where I've always been a little wary is, you know, Michigan has a, has a big fan base, but, but to most Michigan fans, it isn't the only show in town. I always think of like, Nebraska. There's no pro sports there. There's no other team. I mean, there is Creighton basketball, I suppose, but your entire sports fanhood is Nebraska, a big gap, and then whatever pro sports team you've decided to adopt. You know, Alabama, same deal. Uh, Arkansas, Tennessee, uh, Kentucky. You know, and you could probably go down the list. There's a lot of fan bases where. It, there isn't the pro sports. There isn't a second in-state school um, that is, you know, also, you know, takes up half the fan base. I mean, it is, it is all that school's football team all the time. That's all that's discussed. That's all that's cared about. That's where everyone's, I guess, uh, investment goes financially, socially, uh, mentally, emotionally. <laughs> and so I, I've been very, I think a lot of fans are like, this will finally even the score for Michigan. I think one, I mean, just based on results, evening the score does not mean Michigan's getting a number one recruiting class. Uh, so, you know, temper expectations a little bit, but, but Steve, I guess, how do you, 
combining, if you, if you don't mind adding a little bit more of what you've noticed Michigan has done along with your assessment of the recruiting landscape right now, I mean, is this some, some of it, we don't know, but is, do you view this as something that, you know, elevates Michigan up in the top, let's say six, seven, eight programs, or is this something that just ensures Michigan's ahead of, let's say the non Penn state, non Ohio state, big 10 schools that, that Michigan was already recruiting ahead of, but now, you know, the size of the fan base, this, does this separate Michigan just from the, the average, or does this move, move Michigan kind of into that, to that top tier in your eyes, based on, based on what you've seen, certainly plenty of unknowns. I think it still, it just, it does. It still comes back to two things. It comes back to how does Michigan execute? Because I think, I think, if executed properly, I would lean more towards the former. I think they move back up much. Like I think a school, like I think there are a few schools out there who have underperformed on the field. Look at like Texas, I think would be similar. Right. Uh, you know, so I think it depends on how Michigan executes it. They've definitely made, they've expanded their recruiting department. We talked about Courtney Morgan, the director of player personnel has extensive ties in the player world, the, the promotion world, the um, agency world, right? And, and that, I think that could play a big role for them. Uh, Sydney Sims, one of the other new hires they actually brought over from Notre Dame, I think I saw her tweet like last week or so of sitting down with each player individually to kind of lay out a, a, a roadmap for them as far as the social media aspect goes, which like you said, is really where I think a lot of this is going to go, you know, we talk, we joke that Adrian Nunez will be the richest athlete on Michigan's campus. That's uh, right. (laughs) After this goes live. Right. So, you know, I think they've definitely made, you know, but, and then, like I said, the other thing, and I I don't know how to be, it's hard not to be like directly clear about it is if the extracurriculars are policed going forward, it's, it's really still by and large uh, the wild west at the top of the recruiting world. And uh, that's where Michigan's been at a disadvantage relative to uh, some other programs in the country, you know, like I think Notre Dame in the same boat as Michigan, probably Penn state a little bit, you know, if that stuff is ever policed a little bit heavier, you know, I think that combination would be a best case scenario for Michigan. Um, I mean, you have, you know, you have state governments writing, like rewriting the FOIA laws to like basically to help their, their, their state programs uh, recruit prospects at a higher level. Um, It's ridiculous. So, you know, until that other, if that other side is smoothed over a little bit or even just some, you know, I think that would benefit Michigan as much as the NIL stuff would benefit them just on a level playing field. So, you know, I think it's a combo of those two things. But the NIL will absolutely, it will help Michigan, um, obviously relative to the smaller programs you're referring to, but I think it could even help them with some of the, the big dog programs too. Uh, but it just depends, like I said, it just depends on the exact execution, which we don't really know. We don't have the total inner workings of what Michigan's thinking, how they're going to approach it. Uh, it's just a must that they, they do approach it. And like I said, knock it out of the park. Yeah. I was going to say, we don't even know what the NCAA's <laughs> approach is going to be. Are there going to be salary caps? Are there going to be, um, you know, pretty, I, I imagine there'll be rules about like, you can't use your school's logo or name to help you. You know, if you go on a commercial, you can't be hi. I'm um, Shea Patterson of Michigan football. It's hi, I'm Shea Patterson. Uh, so, you know, I'm sure there'll be little rules like that. I'm sure. I'm sure they don't want. At least the NCAA doesn't want millionaires. You know, kind of walking around campus. I, I don't know if they care, but based on their precedent, their history, uh, I would. I would imagine they would like to cap it at a <laughs> hundred grand or something like that. Uh, I'm also very curious to see what these numbers look like because you, know, you mentioned the extracurriculars. Um, who's to stop? 
who's to stop, I don't know, Joe Schmo from Arkansas, who owns a car dealership from paying 150 grand to make sure that <laughs> the quarterback gets to be in the commercial or something. And so, you know, it's like, how do you make sure that players are getting paid, I guess, a fair amount? So yeah, until, until there's a clearer picture of how things are policed, I'm, I'm just, I'm kind of wary personally. I, I don't think this is going to be, honestly, I think the 12 team playoff helps Michigan more than, more than this uh, in terms of sure. the ascent up. I think you can make that, I think you can make that argument. Yeah. I mean, and that's not just based on, you know, Jim Harbaugh's results. That's based on 50 years of results. I've, I've looked it up. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I don't know if this is going to change as much as, as people think. And, and, and it will be very interesting because it's also going to impact how these teams are run. And that's something um, I'm going to ask about your thoughts on this in just a moment. But when I've, I've talked to um, let, let's say a coach of a, of a revenue Michigan sport um, and they mentioned their biggest concern, they're very concerned about how these teams are going to function because a lot of NIL is going to be brand awareness, you know, getting your name out there, getting exposure. And a lot of that comes down to how you perform on the field. If you're a starter, you're going to be better known. If you're a leading scorer, you're going to be a better known name or player. And, and how do these teams, I mean, in some ways that's good because players are going to compete because they want to be as good as they can. But how do you make sure that it's still a selfless team game? You know, think about like basketball. If <laughs> I can put myself in a player's shoe and say, like, if if I knew I could make money if I blew up for a 30-point game, you know what I'm trying to do every single time I get on the court <laughs> is score 30 points. And so, you know, how do you make sure that you're passing? How do you make sure that you're still um, playing defense, playing a selfless game, you know, making sure that you're bought in now? I, w- I, w- I don't think it'll be a huge deal because pro athletes figure it out all the time. Um, and so, so it happens, but, but it is, it's a little different when you're fresh out of high school, pretty much at a school like Michigan, pretty much everyone who comes to Michigan was a star player in high school. And so, um, you know, that, that will be an interesting challenge for the coaches to navigate in, in football, basketball, hockey, um, I pretty much every sport that involves team, you know, everything that isn't swimming and track and field, you know, that isn't an individual sport is, is figuring out how to, how to conduct these practices, how to keep the team chemistry alive when I don't know, um, John Smith has 4,000 Instagram followers and uh, Trevor Smith has 40,000 because you know he's, he's a ball hog or something. I don't know. And so it's, uh, you know, that's, that's one area to navigate. And then, um, you know, and then, and then kind of keeping the sounds very naive or, or outdated. I hope it doesn't, I don't mean to, but kind of keeping academics as a priority. Certainly there are fans who are cynical. They're like, it doesn't matter, but there, there are rules academically speaking, uh, and, and, you know, coaches are required by contract to enforce them how do you make sure that someone's not skipping class to go to a commercial how do you make sure um you know when they're on their laptop it's homework or writing an essay and not working on the latest instagram post that's going to give them a thousand bucks um you know every every student at michigan has to make these they don't have to make that lucrative of a decision but they have to prioritize and so it's another wrinkle that will be um, very fascinating in terms of you know, Michigan football, I, I, or, or I guess football specifically, I also think you're going to just see more and more transfers because I think everyone understands that they probably need to be a starter in order for this to be a real moneymaker. And so teams suddenly have to, I mean, they already kind of are trying to learn on the fly how to coach or how to approach uh, a team that, that, you know, where depth, you know, being a starter is a lot different than being a backup. And so, um, you know, there's lots of like little wrinkles that I'm very fascinated to see. So Steve, I don't, did you have any thoughts on, on 
not just the recruiting part, but, but how it affects Michigan teams or the actual teams of these college. Cause this is going to happen. We could literally be doing a podcast next Thursday and it could already be in place. And so I'm really curious about how this impacts the chemistry, the, uh, I guess the, the harmony of these teams and, and the, and the cultures they have in place. Uh, any additional thoughts there? Yeah, I think that's going to be the biggest challenge. I want to say whenever, I don't know if it was when the, with the Supreme court ruling or something like one of these days in the last couple of weeks or so, and there were already like two or three Michigan players posting Instagram stories, like saying like to local businesses, like we're looking to, you know, reach out to Yeah, us. they were soliciting. Right. Yeah. You know, meaning like that's what it's going to be, you know, here's the thing. Like, so I, I, th- I'm, I think everyone, you and I have full agreement that this is the right direction that these guys should be mm-hmm. getting some kind of compensation for their likeness. You know, I think it's kind of ridiculous that they've not been able to do so, or that they haven't been able to, you know, make some kind of money doing you know, on their own merit right. instead of everybody else making money off of them. But on the, at the same time, and again, I'm like, I, I fully lean that way, but you know, they still are students at, at a college and it's going to be really interesting. Like, I mean, you know, like something as simple as like, what's the, what are the team GPAs going to start looking like mm-hmm. for some of these teams? Um, and like you said, you talk about guys like skipping class. Cause well, what do I have to go to class for? I'm already making a lot of money and I'm probably gonna go to the pros. Like, um, which I mean, that's probably been a thing even without NIL, I suppose. Also fair argument to some extent, just obviously if they don't go pro. Right. Well, that's, but it's like, you know, so it's like, but I, I agree, man. I think that's like a big, big aspect. I, I'd say this, and this will be a, very interesting to me, is not even looking so much at the player side of things. How many, you already see like, some college coaches, whether they're assistants or head coaches or whatever, flock into the NFL. I kind of wonder if you're like, I think it, I think a lot of coaches are going to, like, it's just going to, it's going to completely change the way a program has to be run. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the reactions from the players. I think everything's just going to be totally different. And I'm interested to see if it pushes more guys out of the college game into the pros. Um, Cause yeah, cause I, I agree. I think the portal, you think it's crazy now. I think it'll be even crazier with this. Cause yeah, like you said, guys be, getting beat out at his position, but he thinks he's good enough to play. He's going to like knowing that they, if they maybe went somewhere else and they were the guy, they could get something out of it. They're going to go, they're going to do that. And um, it's always kind of funny. The portal alone made me think of this but that you had the nil into it like i don't think you're gonna ever hear or read any more stories about a player getting out of the coach's doghouse and becoming like a star player i always remember the stories about Mm. chris perry almost leaving michigan like a handful of times him and lloyd carr had it out for each other he like perry was in the doghouse though you're never gonna read stories like that anymore no because these guys are just gonna go wasn't Charles Woodson? Wasn't yep, the story yep. that like seven, he and seven of his teammates were about ready to transfer and yeah, yeah. Lloyd convinced them not to. Yeah. Think about it. Think about that. <laughs> think if NIL or the port, you know, if that, if that stuff had been a thing, Woodson would have never, you know, maybe that must, never would have happened. Right. Like those stories are gone. That is just never going to be a thing anymore. And I think NIL pushes that even further out, you know, as far as guys, you know, some of these guys that leave, may leave and it's not really the best decision for them to make because it, I think there's going to be such a, there's going to be a, such a bigger emphasis on short-term thinking and not long-term thinking with this kind of stuff. And and how do you, if you, if you're a coaching staff, how do you handle, you know, kind of, how do you work to try to hang on to a guy? You know, do you promise them like, Hey, you'll play next year. You'll be able to make some money. Like, you know, it's like, it's just, right. it, it's, it is, it's going to completely, uh, could completely change the dynamic of any locker room. And I think it puts way more pressure on head coaches and staffs and support staffs 
to kind of keep perspective uh, for all of their players, not just the guys that are starting and subsequently maybe, you know, real raking in a little bit of dough. Um, you know, the other thing too, I mean, you want to get even deeper, it, the recruiting rankings are going to be fascinating as far as this goes too. Mm-hmm. You know, we get kids and families, you know, that, and it's, I mean, it's natural. These guys are competitors and stuff, but guys who like, why, why, why am I not ranked higher? Or why am I only a three-star? Why am I not a four-star? Knowing that like, you know, four-star top 150 guy is going to make money the second he walks on. Like, and that's the flip side is like some of these guys, it you're either going to be the guy playing all the time and getting all the, getting like endorsement, they're doing commercials or, or you're going to be the stud recruit who's going to walk in right away and already start that because you already made a name for yourself on the recruiting trail because you were, it was such a big win when we, when Michigan beat Notre Dame for, mm-hmm. you know, top 100 linemen or something like that kid's already going to be kind he won't be like a household name in Ann Arbor or in the Michigan market, but he'll be a big enough name where he could probably do something. So, you know, that's another aspect of it where like, I always, I've been kind of wondering like how the rankings are like, if are, are people going to be like super pushy about with our analysts about the rankings, like even more so than they already are. Like, it's just, it opens up a whole lot of cans of worms and uh, like it's going to be really crazy to see like what direction some of this stuff goes. Yeah, no, and you're absolutely right about the recruiting. Um, I mean, this already kind of was the case. So last year I did, I actually went, it took forever. I went through every single student athlete at Michigan's Instagram handle. Or if I didn't do every single athlete, I came pretty darn close. And there were two, there were a couple trends that I found in terms of who's going to make the most money. Uh, one, <laughs> Scoring points still pays, you know, I mean, in terms of quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, um, you know, in basketball, it was, you know, leading scorers Uh, in in hockey. It was the goal scorers more than the defensemen in a lot of cases. But the other thing that really came into play was recruiting. Recruiting really matters. I mean, JJ McCarthy, I believe is the most followed Michigan football player. He has not played a game for Michigan. He, you know, he hasn't even played a snap and, and he has 64,000 Instagram followers. Um, you know, and Aiden Hutchinson has 12,000. So it's, it's part of that is how these players use social media, by the way, I do use Instagram because that's the one that's the most easy to calculate the monetization. The, the formula that is out there is that roughly speaking, you know, agents and, and people who work with branding and endorsement, they estimate your worth is about 0.8 times your Instagram following. So for JJ McCarthy, it'd be about 50 grand a year would be his, would be what an agent would say is your, your endorsement value. But anyway, yeah, being a five-star recruit pays dividends, especially in basketball. I mean, I think Josh Christopher had what, 750,000 followers before he graduated high school. And so, you know, being, being a five-star, being a top-tier recruit, it, it, it allows you to kind of build some momentum before you get to college. So it'll be, it'll be really fascinating. Yeah, you're absolutely right about, like, players trying to be top-tier recruits. I, I you know, as a reporter who has um, – I, I would say I've been critical of, of, you know, media access in the past. I don't think I've necessarily gone overboard because I'm not here to complain, but I'm really curious to see if players are more willing to talk to us or if they're less willing to talk to us, you know, could, could honestly go both ways. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, it's after a, after a big game, the first thing they want to do is like get on TV, get, get in the newspaper, um, you know, newspapers, get online. Um, you know, have their stuff on social media, maybe after a not so good game, they, they don't want to talk to us for a while. They'd rather do their own press conference, but um, you, well, you know, you're going to see more like you could see more like, uh, I don't know, like quotes or, or statements that will get reaction. Right. Yeah. You know, like they could beat quarterback beats Ohio state and goes on national television and says like, 
screw Ohio State or something. You know, <laughs> well, you know what I mean though. Like you get what I'm saying though. And yeah. it would get a million shares, a thousand, you know, the hundreds of thousands of shares and, and comments and stuff. And like you know what I mean? And now this guy upped his value overnight by you know so yeah it's like there's so many it's like an endless um maze puzzle of uh you know of of different ways and and opportunities that these guys will have yeah when you when you were talking about that i was i was almost wondering if there'll be like a the reality show angle where you know how there's always someone that has to be the villain on the reality shows it's like this does someone take on the villain role um you know the 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 bad boy role or whatever it is you know, I mean, just you to see, get just to get attention, and you know, you even see, if they're not liked, you see it. I mean, I'd say a good guy. You see it in UFC. Yeah, you know, like I like <laughs> like Colby Covington is a guy. You know, I think kind of almost created a persona to sort of to build reaction, build whatever, and you know, and he's a guy that's gotten a handful of money fights. Right. You know, so I think it's, yeah, it's a similar logic that it, it, you can totally see the Paul yeah. brothers. Right. Yeah. I mean, yep. same idea. Absolutely. <laughs> it's all based on just notoriety, reaction. notoriety and reaction. Yep. So anyway, uh, the other, the other thing I found when I was doing this research last year is that uh, this is, this feels overdue for football and basketball. It's, it feels especially overdue for the, for the rest of the sports, but we'll call them the Olympic sports, even though, not all of them are in the Olympics. Most of them are. Um, you'd be really surprised, Michigan fans, uh, at the, the followings that uh, these gymnasts have, that uh, you know, softball players have, that swimmers have, you know, track athletes. Some, some of them have bigger followings than anyone else on Michigan's football team. And so I think this is, in, you know, that's, those are sports that, uh, the college level is kind of hurt by their inability to have pro athletes. I mean, I think, you know, Katie Ledecky uh, basically was generous enough to swim for Stanford for a couple of years, even though she probably could have made another million bucks by not swimming for Stanford the first couple of years that she did. You know, Michael Phelps probably wasn't swimming for Michigan anyways, but, you know, that was another case where like he needed to go pro while his he, you know, while the money was hot, um, there was a discussion on our board today. You know, Hobbs Kessler is someone that elite, elite runner. I mean, a mate, like prodigy, basically he is flirting with the NCAA record in his event. And he hasn't even, I think he graduated high school two weeks ago. And so, you know, those are athletes that can now stay in college. Now they, they, I, I'm sure there'll be some rule about like, you can't, you can't take any cash earnings. It has to only be name, image, likeness. You know, I'm, I'm sure there'll be some rules, but I think the college game becomes more appealing uh, to, we'll, we'll say, brand pro athletes. You know, thinking about athletes who blow up at the Olympics, people are asking them to sign these $100,000 endorsements, but now they can do that and they can play in college still and still have that experience. So, um, yeah, you'd be surprised if you, if you looked around – I mean, there are at Michigan and at other schools too. Uh, I think I think the Olympic sports are really going to have a have a bump in, I guess, intrigue uh, in the caliber of competition, just because it's slightly less of a decision that you have to make than usual. Uh, Steve, any other things on your mind about name image likeness and, and maybe how it pertains to Michigan? No, not really. I think we. Uh, Sure. It pretty well at this point. <laughs> All right, we're going to hit a quick break on the other side. Uh, we'll have a we'll have a short discussion about Michigan's running backs and offensive line. Is this is this what's going to carry Michigan uh, to a bounce back season? You're listening to the Wolverine twenty four seven podcast, and we're back. Thanks for waiting. So yeah, that 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 question, <laughs> same question is. So I'm doing. The stories will come out relatively soon. I'm kind of taking a peek at the strengths and weaknesses and, and kind of the, the skill levels of every one of Michigan's position groups. And, you know, went and rewatched, I would say, the majority of the 2020 season. Really think that that offensive line, Michigan's offensive line, has, has the ability to kind of 
have a 2018 type breakout season. And then I think the running backs, um, the numbers were pitiful last season, not just overall numbers because they were trailing in most games, but, but even the per carry numbers, just really not, not good. Uh, the, the conversion rate on, on third downs and you know, when, when they needed yards, they, they, they just didn't get them. Um, or they needed touchdowns. <laughs> Sometimes they just didn't get them, but feels like just watching, you watch enough film of Blake Corm, you watch enough film of, of Donovan Edwards and, and, you know, everyone kind of is aware of Hassan Haskins at this point. Uh, feels like this, it's not being discussed as much. Feels like this could potentially be a strength for Michigan. I, I have my thoughts, but Steve, I guess, what, what, what do you think about that? Is Michigan, I mean, historically speaking, their best teams have been teams that, that really dominate up front. I don't think we're, we're you know, going out on a limb to say they need a good offensive line to be a good football team. But, but knowing what you know about the starting five on the offensive line and the running backs, I mean, I almost wonder for all the talk about the quarterback competition, for all the talk about uh, the receiver departures this spring, feels like the offense is lining up to be relatively run centric. I don't know if that's something Michigan fans want to hear, but, but just from a talent perspective, uh, what are your thoughts on, on Michigan's running game and kind of their ability to move the line of scrimmage? Yeah. I mean, I think that's, you know, Cheryl Moore coming in for Ed Warner. I think there's a lot of pressure on him because they are talented that there's no shortage of talent for them pretty much across the board, particularly if Zinter ends up playing at center, you know, cause we know how, how well he looked pretty solid last year, you know, a true freshman, a lot of time, not going to, you know, there's the rare cases, uh, but true freshman going to be ups and downs and stuff up front. And I think that was probably an accurate way to look at his season last year. And uh, you know, you move him in the middle and you figure out a place for a guy like Barnhart, uh, Jones, Rumler, you know, these are, and those are guys like, you know, you're thinking, I mean, what are we kind of thinking right now? So yeah, we know Hayes is going to be starting left tackle provided he's healthy. Yep. Feels like Trevor Keegan likely to be the guy at left guard. Yep. I agree with that. Zinter feels like they would like to play him at center, which I think we talked about before is a, is a good sign. You know, we say that Vistardis has a lot of experience. If Zinter shifts over and plays there, that means that either like that somebody like Barnhart has really stepped up, you know, because and think, Zinter is, I mean, he's going to play, I think, no matter what. Right. Right. But, you know, if he's better than a returning captain and starter at a key position. That's great. That, that That's what you want. Right. Yeah. Because, I mean, all things considered, we have to, you know, Zach Zinter at his best, you know, if he lives up to the expectations, it feels like Michigan set for him more talented than Andrew Vistardis. Right. So, you know, and then you have Stuber who I think they would want, they want to play right guard. He could play right tackle if needed, you know, and I think that's where like a guy, I think a guy like Barnhart's really important for Michigan this year. Um, We know Ed Warner really liked him a lot. We know Jones, Trent Jones had a really good spring, but I think best case scenario would be Barnhart at right tackle, Stuber at right guard. That's those are guys that Michigan recruited really hard. Were all of them were four? I think I don't know if Stuber was a four star. I'd have to go back. And he look. was a three. Okay, but had like twenty seven or twenty eight. He was a Connecticut three. Right. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. <laughs> well, because he had like twenty five plus offers. And yeah. uh, I think Zinter got a four eventually. And then, you know, Keegan and, and Hayes were top two, four, seven guys, as was Barnhart at the end of the cycle, I believe. So, you know, no shortage of talent up front. So it's, it has the potential. And a lot of these guys have gotten experience now, too. You know, Keegan, as we've said a thousand times, uh, finally got to play last year. I couldn't still really can't figure that one out. Came in and looked really good against Penn State and kind of seize that opportunity. 
And the other four guys have played a decent amount of snaps as well with obviously with Hayes and Stuber have started quite a few games and Zinter played a lot last year. So there's a decent, there's enough experience in my opinion for experience, for experience to not necessarily be a weakness for them. Uh, well, they return four week one starters. And I think they, I, I, at one point I looked it up, I, they returned seven players with multiple games of starting experience there. So you have talent, you have experience, you know, I mean, those are, those are the two big things that you want. Uh, particularly size front, helps right? too. They're yeah. big. Yeah. So the foundation is there for, for them to have an, an offensive line. And I think we talked like you had Dalen Baldwin at receiver. We've talked about back. We're talking about back. There's just enough, there is enough talent at the skill positions for Michigan to have to to be better on offense than they've been in a while. The it's just gonna depend on on how good that unit up front plays, right? Because yeah. not only do they have, you know, and it, we talked a little bit about this last year, but I think it still holds this season between Haskins, Corum, Edwards, and pretty Dunlap, too. You have four backs but all are like sort of different how does michigan i know that was the big thing last year is like that, that people think that michigan like royally screwed up like their rotation and and it didn't it, just the way they went about it didn't work i think you could i think there's arguments both ways on that one i think i i gotta if you're a michigan fan it, it had to have been depressing to read uh i can't remember who, which coach like, some bengals assistant coach saying that chris evans <laughs> the best hands he's seen at the running back position or something. It's like, right. Yep. As you and I would stand on the mountaintop every week and say that they needed to put Chris Evans in the slot. Uh, I feel like we said that a thousand times uh, while he was at Michigan, but um, you know, different style backs, they can get, they can give you different looks. They can give defenses different looks, you know? And so, yeah, I mean, the, the really, I guess is the best way to put it. There's a lot of pressure on Sharon Moore, and I don't think, Josh Gaddis has any they're, – they're running out of time. They are. If you can't put yeah. points up with this unit, then something's not – something's not being – something's not working right on the yeah. side of things. Well, that's that's a good point about Sharon Moore. I mean, I don't think we need to sugarcoat it at all. That was a risky decision by Jim Harbaugh. I, I, I think he had his reasons. I think he did his homework, but – he has not coached an offensive line before. He played offensive line. He understands the position. You know, he's coached tight ends, so it's not like this is a, a whole new realm for him. But Michigan went from one of the most experienced offensive line coaches in the country who had been coaching almost exclusively offensive lines for 35 years to someone who has not done that. He hasn't, hasn't been an offensive line coach for one game. So certainly there's some pressure and you're, and you're right about Josh Gaddis. I don't, I think this is a, a prove it year. I mean, you could argue every year is a prove it year in a cutthroat world of like college football, but, but it is, I think this is the, this is the year where the excuses aren't, aren't there. Um, you know, as far as the offensive line, I'm with you. I think this is a lot of players Michigan really liked. They have size, they have power, um, but they, they didn't, you know, most of the players that I think you listed as starters also have pretty good footwork too. You know, they have pretty good hands. It's not, it's not just a, a behemoth train that you have to learn how to control. I mean, there are players who were former basketball you know, players, former, um, you know, they used to be smaller and they got bigger and they, they kept their athleticism and that, that kind of storyline. Uh, for me, the offensive line, I, I think, I think the player, I'm really curious about is, is Ryan Hayes. Um, you know, cause he for a long time was basically getting Jalen Mayfield type hype. He just needed another year because he didn't really play offensive line in high school. And last year he was injured. So I, I think, you know, it's, it's hard to tell if last year would have been the year that he took a leap. Um, but, but before he was injured, I, I don't know that he was necessarily setting the world on fire. And so this is a big year because I think Michigan's looking to him to play at a draft level, at a captain level 
um, of play at, at left tackle and, you know, Carson Barnhart or whoever ends up Trente Jones, uh, whoever wins the, the right tackle job will face similar pressure. But I, I think Hayes, just because he's someone that Michigan has, has believed in for so long and has kind of built up for so long. And, and they still are, I mean, they're still talking about him as kind of the leader of the offensive line. So a uh, big year for, for him. And then I think, uh, you know, I think Keegan, I, well, let's, let's say that 2019 class, was that the 2019 class? Yeah. I think that's, this is the year, you know, you mentioned the experience for a long time. We said, well, offensive line, a lot of times you won't necessarily see the dividends pay out until year three. Well, it's year three. <laughs> so this is a, this is a big year for, for Keegan Barnhart Jones. Um, you know, it's a rumbler as well. I, I don't know if he's a projected starter in our books, but you know, there, there is fall camp. He can, he can start to assert himself. So yeah, it's going to be going to be a very um, pivotal year for a lot of guys, but I, I, I do, I do look at the players, you know, whether it's their high school film or what they've shown, I think if they can truly find the five best, Every coach says they're looking for the five best, but if they can actually, you know, they have the versatility this year, if they can utilize that and really put the five best offensive linemen on the field, I think that was something Michigan might've struggled with last year at times. Uh, I don't, I think, you know, with COVID it's very hard to tell who was available in a given week as well. But, um, you know, if they can really find the five best, I think they do have a really good offensive line that can, that can produce similar to the 2018 line, the one that got literally everyone drafted, including uh, you know, multiple top 100 picks. So yeah, I'm really, really intrigued. Uh, you know, at running back, I guess it's the, I guess it's a similar situation. I, I, I'm just curious how the carries shake out because it's really hard to watch anything Donovan Edwards has done on the football field and not think he should probably maybe maybe get number one snaps <laughs> right season? away this season <laughs> yeah i kind of feel like he should maybe be the starter uh, i think i, I think they love big, haskins i get it but right i think the big question for donovan and don't know if we got any on anything on this or not and i've, I've talked about this a few times but i think the, the biggest question mark with him was ball security so sure you know and, and again i think that, we that doesn't talked, make the highlight film does it right we had talked <laughs> about uh Mike Hart being such a perfect hire in that regard because mm. of Mike Hart's ability, you know, what he only fumbled twice in his college career or something, both in the same game. Uh, or maybe he, he, I don't know, he had like one of the longest non-fumble streaks in, in college football history. I yeah. Think. Yeah. And it was uh, part of his reputation. He was right. So a good fit there. Like that, I think that, I think the amount of time we'll see Edwards may be partially dependent on how far he's come along in that avenue but i agree talent wise yeah i mean well hey you're hearing about travion henderson tearing it up at ohio state already and he's going to play a big role i mean edwards was not ranked that much lower and had a huge end to his senior season you know he was a guy putting up huge stats in the state playoffs uh you know it's like you know michigan maybe need like time for a five-star freshman to be a five-star freshman right so Possibility. I still think Haskins will be the guy though. And I know yeah. we've heard Blake Corum is a guy. I, I'd say it like this. It'd be, it'd be a really big disappointment if he, if he wasn't productive this year. Um, he's, he's dangerous. He's very capable of putting up some numbers for them this year. So. Yeah, I think um, I actually, I mean, this isn't meant to be a, a diss on a Dunlap, but I actually kind of like, if I'm projecting, I think Michigan might be better served with a very, with a relatively clear kind of top three. Um, I think four last year, uh, you know, kind of the shuffling with different injuries and things. I think, I, I think it just, you know, adding Chris Evans, kind of trying to just plug him in, you know, when he missed, he didn't get a spring camp, didn't really get the same type of fall camp. Um, I think, I think it was, there's was a lot of just weirdness about the running back rotation last year. And um, I almost feel like having one veteran 
one kind of, you know, Corum can line up in multiple different spots if they need him to, um, you know, I don't think he's someone that needs to carry the ball six times in a row or anything to, to be productive. And then, and then one freshman who's, who's feels, feels ready, I guess, is how I would put it. He feels like someone that could make an impact in year one. I almost think it makes things a little bit cleaner in Michigan's rotation. So, um, well, here's the other thing. And this was something I, I had talked about as far as recruiting goes. I kind of, I think I underestimated a little bit Michigan's. They only have four scholarship backs. Yeah. Don't know if you want to burn both red shirts if at all possible. Right. True. Um, so, with, because with Charbonnet leaving, you know, again, we, we would, with getting, Edwards and Dunlap and then getting Corum the cycle before, even without Charbonnet, our thought recruiting wise was, well, running back's not that big of a need because they've done so well. You know, the last three guys they've signed have been, have been top, top target type guys. That's that they only have four scholarship backs and Haskins won't be back next year. You know, they're going to sign at least two. Uh, I think they'd like to take two backs and a sort of a hybrid back receiver type. You know, it's a bigger – so I, I think with that in mind, I, I think with your two true freshmen, I think you'd prefer to redshirt one of them if at all possible just for that that, that simple reason. Yeah, so. yeah. I wonder if they do – this isn't necessarily forecasting. If they if they do view Dunlap as a redshirt candidate, I wonder if they move somebody at, let's say, a position where there are more scholarship players – uh, that maybe maybe give them a try at running. That that might be a sign that they are looking at that, or that they are sure. looking for more depth at the position. That's always something, you know. We we talk about take things heard in the off season with a grain of salt. But if a player switches positions, um, it often means that there's a slightly easier path to playing time at one position versus another. So um, maybe that doesn't happen at all. But but yeah. I, I agree. I think it's, I mean, start with three, obviously, if you need a fourth, go for it. But I, 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 it just felt very, it felt like Michigan was very uncomfortable rotating four backs the way that it did last year. I, you know, wait till NIL, wait till NIL kicks in. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) A six, six back rotation. Yeah. <laughs> but everyone gets the exact same amount of carries. Yeah. It's, uh, you get capped like a, like a, you know, pr- pitching prospect. Um, anyway, I, I was thinking, you know, ranking the position groups. I think, I think offensive line and, and running back are right near the top for me. I'm actually pretty high on the receivers as well. Uh, but I would say it's probably safeties. And then I, I might go offensive line next receivers, then running backs. I mean, it, this, this feels like it probably should be the strength of Michigan's team, whether it is or not, that's to be determined. But, but just from a, a talent, you mentioned top targets, you know, they've got enough guys who are entering kind of the, the years where they can, they're comfortable up front. And then on, in the running back, we mentioned the cleaner rotation. Fair to say, this is, you know, one of the, these two position groups are among the top two, three, or four on the team. I think that's fair. I think, well, and that's the Baldwin addition makes it even stronger, right? Uh, safety. Yeah, I agree. I think with safety provided by uh, Hawkins bounces back, but no, that's where, like I said, that's where the, the pressure's up, up front because the skill positions are, are both talented and, and pretty deep. You know, one guy that really hasn't been talked about a lot, I think he was battling some stuff, was Roman Wilson. Uh, yeah. He was a game one starter last year as a true freshman and has, you know, speed for days. <laughs> he does. Uh, he was one of the fastest players on the team. So... It's an, yeah, they have a very interesting mix. I, I think we talked, we talked, did we talk a little bit about Baldwin last week? Yeah, yeah, we right. Mentioned Is that that yeah. gives them another sort of guy they can throw on the outside with that length, the red zone type deal? So that was really, like I said, 
sort of one of those try to add your best player, best player available type situations, not a spot we really necessarily thought they were looking, but, but obviously strengthens that room even more than it already was, you know? And so, yeah, I'm with you. I've always been high in Cornelius Johnson too. I know you are. Uh, I've always looked at AJ Henning as a guy. I, you know, to me, and this isn't like sour grapes at all. I think, I think AJ Henning fully unleashed is is a bigger weapon than Giles Jackson fully unleashed. Uh, I, when we saw Henning with the ball last year, uh, he just looks different. You know, I, I the more explosive, just looks faster. You know, so and he's a guy. Like I'd said a couple months ago, I asked around a little bit said, Hey, you know, is, is AJ Henning a good breakout pick this year? And I got, uh, I think two or three yeses on that. So add that in the mix. And then of course, you know, the, the Ronnie Bell, who's still never talked about, even though he was their leading receiver two years ago with Nico Collins on the roster. Um, you know, there's, there's just, Again, you go back to the idea that there's there's no shortage of talent for the quarter whoever wins the quarterback job and for the offensive line to create opportunities for for these guys at both of these positions. So, yeah, I think I by and large I think I think I pretty much agree with you that the bulk of the best positions on the team, like for, if you were to rank them, are are mostly on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, yeah, they need a good offense this season. Uh, they they can't be a okay offense or a solid offense they have to be if they want to be top I think we mentioned this last week if they want to be a top 20 team they, they're gonna to have to they're gonna to have to have a really good offense uh anyway plenty to discuss throughout this off season. that's gonna do it for this episode for Steve Lorenz I'm Zach Shaw this has been the Wolverine 24-7 podcast feel free to subscribe share it with your friends uh throw us a rating that helps that helps uh, get get us a little bit more exposure. Uh, tells us what you think as well, uh, but also gets gets uh, allows more people to discover the podcast. Hope you had fun. Hope you learned something. We'll see you next time.